welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast where the hosts have a horrible week dealing with the sad lads, the bad lads and the very bad dads. And then we get to come here and talk about amazing women writers from history. And it's fantastic. I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. I'm thoroughly Team Austin. And I am your host, Lauren Burke. I am thoroughly Team Bronte, although this month we are Team Alcott. Yes. I, I think, yes. yeah, always a little bit Alcott. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know very much about her before. Mm-hmm. I've been reading up and I'm really into Louisa May Alcott, guys. I think she's a hero. I think she's yeah, an she's unsung so hero of literature. Oh, I can't believe we only have the month of May. Month <laughs> I mean, we'll come May. back to her. Well, publicly, you know, you can have a, a relationship with Louisa May Alcott outside of the show. That's true. You can. I can. <laughs> <laughs> we can do this. Um, so, yeah. Welcome to Louisa May Alcott. That'll be the last time we make that joke, guys. It won't. I promise. <laughs> you got another month of it. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so just to refresh your memories, we are doing a read-along this month of Eight Cousins. Yep. We're doing a watch-along of the new BBC masterpiece, Little Women. Yes. And we're going to be interviewing a few Louisa May Alcott experts. And so today we are starting with Jan Turnquist, and she is from Orchard House. Now, Orchard House is the Literary House Museum in Concord, Massachusetts, which is just outside of Boston. You know we love a literary home. Louisa May Alcott lived here uh, with her family from 1858 when she was about 26 years old. And this is where she wrote Little Women. So it really influenced the book. Jan has been at Orchard House forever. She started off as a volunteer. Then she's moved her way up to the executive director. She's Mm. actually been there a total like 40 years. That's nuts. That's like longer than I've been alive. (laughs) It's crazy. So... She knows a little bit about Louisa May Alcott. Just a tiny, like a tiny touch. Just, just a tiny, tiny touch. I mean, she's heard like, she's probably heard the most insane stories about Louisa May Alcott for 40 years. She's been asked the most insane questions. Yeah. Um, to call I can Beth, only imagine. Right, little women. That's <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. Did Charlotte Bronte kill Louisa May Alcott? <laughs> So, um, yeah, she's recently actually even shot a mini documentary on Orchard House. I think that's actually going to be appearing on the Little Women um, DVD when it comes out. Oh, I'm so, so I don't know if I'm supposed to say DVDs that. I think anymore. I <laughs> or Blu-ray. That's so sad. I mean, I just download everything from the internet like a terrible Lauren, person. You beep that out. Okay, I will. But you know what? I'll, I'll buy the masterpiece. Yeah. DVD. I will buy this one for the special behind the scenes features. Anyway, so she's directed that. She also served as a consultant for the BBC Little Women. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll get more into Jan's resume here, actually. Let's go ahead and throw to this interview. Um, and then Hannah and I will talk more Louisa, Orchard House and nonsense afterwards. So um, why don't you go ahead and jump right in and tell me more about the history of Orchard House and just when did it become an official literary home? Yeah, Uh, 1912 was the official opening, 1910, 1911, 
the women of Concord were working hard to make this all happen. They incorporated as the Louise May Alcott Memorial Association in 1911. So many people okay. think of it as 1911 because that was the official date. Uh, and they had mm-hmm. bought the house and they were working hard. Then its grand opening, if you will, was 1912. Okay. Oh, so excellent. So it depends on, on how you look at it. If you say, when, when was it purchased for the purpose of, of being a museum and when was it incorporated? That's 1911. Now, um, how long have you been working there? Well, I started giving tours there when I was in my 20s. And, um, okay. And then about 20 years ago, um, I became the director. So my total time there is a little over 40 years. Oh wow. Okay. So you know you know a little bit about the house. I yeah, I've been there a little little while. <laughs> yeah, you have. What drew you to volunteering there initially? I well, I was new to the area and I mm-hmm. love biography and I love this time period of history and someone um that I got to know quite well, someone I met when we first moved in, was the what they used to have sort of taking care of the house in those days was what they called a sort of a house manager, director. It wasn't an executive director position, so she was young. She was very, very young. And, I mean, she was my age. And um, Mm -hmm. she said, gosh, you really need somebody on the weekends. Can you just work on the weekends? And I, you know, had just had a new baby, and I thought, well, that's perfect. That's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it was just really, really fun. And the best part was, so much information on Louisa herself and her whole family. It's like a kid in a candy store. If you love biography, you have access to so many primary source documents. And of course, their possessions are all around you. I mean, almost everything you see, when you look around Orchard House, it's not recreated, oh, we found something that this is probably what they would have had. These are their real furnishings and possessions. So it's oh, very nice. unusual, and that's there's something inexplicable about what that does if you're studying or or just wanting to know more about a person in any way. If you're really with their things, and you know those are their things, there's something kind of extra informative or magical almost about that. Right. Now, um, if I were to come to the house, well, when I come to the house, like, what can I expect? Um, you have guided tours yep. and like, you know, what will I see? Yes. Because we don't have ropes, it's, you get to walk in the rooms almost the way you would if you, if you were really just a visitor in, in the time mm-hmm. of the Alcuts. You, you, there are no barriers. There are no signs. You know, we don't have displays and signs. Everything is just a home. And so we can't really just have people wander through on their own. It really has to be with a guide because otherwise... <laughs> You can always right. have all these original artifacts right there. Everybody could touch them, and really you can't touch them <laughs> because mm-hmm. skin oil, of course, will, will deteriorate many, many old things, not to mention just wear and tear in general. So we, right. uh, and people are very respectful. Before they go on the tour, we explain why we can't have people sitting on the furniture and touching. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> understands. We've never had a problem. And But, of course, having a guide with them is great in every way because not only is that safer for the collection, but the, the tour is very informative. And we are fortunate in that the people who are attracted, most of the people who apply for, for a job, we, our um, guides are paid positions, um, most mm-hmm. of the people who apply 
are applying because they love Alcott. Once right. in a while, we've gotten someone who's just, you know, well, I thought I'd just see what this is about. But we're lucky that most people just really have that passion. And mm-hmm. that is worth a lot because that means they keep reading. That means they're always responsive. They enjoy the guests. They enjoy the fact that there's sort of a camaraderie between the guests and the guide because the guests often, at least one member of a group almost always is a little bit passionate about all kinds. Right, sure. Sometimes, you know, you get a whole family and maybe father and the boys are doing this for mother. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But pretty soon they're all interested. Now, are there any stories that you tell on the tour to sort of like hook visitors? Or are there any like sort of lesser known facts about Louisa May Alcott that you like to pull out? There are many, many, many. Every single person who gives tours will have favorites because, I mean, really, truly, there are, there's such a well-documented family. There are many, many, many stories um, and many facts that are lesser known, too. But I would say, for me personally, one of the lesser known facts that I really enjoy sharing with people is that Louisa loved to run. And that is such an unknown fact. Most people don't know it. Most biographers don't even delve into that. But, I mean, she mm-hmm. said things like, this, this is close to word for word, although I'm doing this from memory, but she said, sure. um, I, I must have been a deer or a horse in some former existence because it's such a joy to run. And one of her cousins said about her that she's the best girl runner I've ever seen. She runs mm-hmm. like a gazelle. So she was just good at it and loved it. And um, what we would today call writer's block was for her a chance to get out and run. If she was just trying to write and was a little stymied, or for other reasons too, I mean, it didn't have to be that reason, but she loved to get out and run. And you guys have a 5K, correct? Yes, a 5 and a 10. We do both. Okay. And that's why. That's why we do it, because it's honoring that part of Louisa and... um, I think at the same time, hopefully starting to bring it into people's awareness. And it's Mm -hmm. really fun when we have um, a family, sometimes it'll be father and daughter or sometimes a whole family or mother and daughter. But, of course, boys run it too. But in particular, it's fun when a parent will take me aside and say, I wanted to bring my daughter to show her Mm -hmm. this sort of spirit of, of a woman who wrote a book that's, been a bestseller for 150 years now, but also right. was physical and active and really a feminist. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that's, that's another fantastic. part of Louisa that people can figure out and pick up on very easily just from reading her works. But mm-hmm. to stop and think about what a leader she really was before the term was even being used. People in that day weren't right. using the term feminist. Um, but right. she and her entire family really were. Now, um, what other sorts of events besides the 5K do you guys have to sort of honor her and her memory? We do a seminar every summer, and, and it's really something that was started by her father. It's, we call it the Summer School of Philosophy. Uh, he started the Concord School of Philosophy and Literature in 1879 because he had been a teacher all his life, but he had always dreamed of teaching adults. And Mm -hmm. he started that in 1879. He 
really felt that learning should be a lifelong activity, that you're never too young and you're never too old for it. He strongly felt that. So this honors him, but it also honors Louisa, who is proud of him. Um, they were very different in personality and, and interests, but she really did adore him, and he adored her, and especially you, you really pick up on this if you read correspondence in the later years. Um, and I think that, well, by topic, we're offering, often honoring her, uh, even okay. though it's, it's a school that her father started. She is often the topic because that's what people are interested in. And for mm-hmm. us, it's an opportunity to form a community with people who are really passionate for about a week. It's a Sunday through Thursday event. And actually, mm-hmm. if you go on our website, louisamayalcott.org, you will see all the details about it. It's, it's really quite a wonderful thing. And this year, of course, being the sesquicentennial of the publication of Little Women, where that's the topic. It's, it's talking about 150 years gotcha. of it never being out of print and being a bestseller. And so it's really um, a, sort of a dual purpose, but a lot of times we're also talking about other family members as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's um, Just... And sometimes we're talking about a topic like abolition that they were active in, but then there are many other people who come into that topic. So it's every year it's different. Oh, that sounds great. Oh, I really, okay, now I really want to come to that. Yeah, you should. That's in July. Yeah. It's, it's, okay, it's, it's always, in July. You'll see the date when you look. It's, always in July. It's, it's okay. always July. Oh, perfect. Okay, we're going to put that on our calendar for sure. <laughs> Good. Absolutely. Good. <laughs> so... You know, we know that we're celebrating Little Women this year. Um, for our show, we're going to all watch and review the PBS, um, the new PBS version that's coming out. Right. But we're also going to do a read along because I feel like there are so many of Louisa's, you know, other works that are overlooked. Yeah. And I don't know if you have any theories as to why maybe we're we're not paying that much attention to some of her other work? Like, you know, Little Women just seems to be overshadowing everything. Well, I think one factor with Little Women is that it was so autobiographical. I mean, of course, it's fiction. Mm-hmm. So you have to sort of say semi-autobiographical. But she was writing about her own family, her sisters and herself. And there's something about that that, that just somehow translates through the page. And then people mm-hmm. love to know about her, and they, they feel like they already know her because she's the model for Joe March, and they've read all about Joe March. And, of course, if they really want to keep going, they read Little Men and Joe's Boys. Mm-hmm. All three of those, of course, go together. That's the little trilogy that she wrote about, about the March family. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that Little Women is the first big, I mean, it was, anything she had written before was completely overshadowed by Little Women because what she wrote before was just many things that she wrote before were just not based in reality at all. They were, they were fanciful things, what she Mm -hmm. called blood and thunder tales and also um, fairy stories. And they were charming. Well, fairy stories were charming. The blood and thunder tales were exciting, but they were, she was youthful and, know drawing on the idea of with blood and thunder being a little sensational with fairy stories being very uh, fanciful and I think that 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 has its place but 
when something feels real, especially in an era when most of the books being published for young women readers were absolutely not realistic. They were very much like, here's how you should be behaving, girls. You know, that sort of right. um, preachy. <laughs> and some people yeah. think of her books as somewhat preachy, but by comparison, not at all. <laughs> right. And at least even if some of it felt preachy, at least it was real. It was, that's what they lived. That's, that's the attitudes that were being shared with them. So mm-hmm. it's still real, and I think people respond to that. Now, do you have a favorite title? Well, I, I actually do love Little Women. I think Old mm-hmm. Fashioned Girl and Under the Lilacs are two others that are often overlooked that are, that are wonderful. Um, I also like her book Work, which is for a very different reason. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, not, um, it's not the same kind of book at all, it's, but it's quite autobiographical, but it was written for an adult audience. Oh, I think our, our listeners would like that then. Yes. Work. To be honest. Work or the story of experience is often the full title given. There, there are a few different, okay. um, over the years, a few different titles, but work is always part of the title. Okay, perfect. We're going to check that one out. For our read-along, um, it was a big debate between Old Fashioned Girl or Eight Cousins. Oh, Eight Cousins is fun. Yeah, that's fun too. Yes. So we're going with Eight Cousins. Um, yeah. Yes, it is. I it was think a hard it's a debate, lot of though. fun. Now, um, do you have a favorite object in the house? Well, I would say there, there are two that that um, are strong contenders for me. Uh, in Louise's bedchamber, her sister painted an owl over her fireplace when she was recovering from her nursing illness. You know, she was she served as a nurse for the Union Army in the Civil War, contracted typhus pneumonia was treated heavily with calomel, which is mercurous chloride. So she had mercury poisoning. I mean, it was, it was really mm-hmm. tough. She nearly died. And when she was recovering, they didn't want to leave her alone. They were sitting with her. And when May sat with her, she would paint. And she painted this beautiful, sweet owl. Because Louisa loved owls. There's an owl family that lived in a tree outside her window at that time so she could see them. And she really did like owls a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's just a charming little owl. I really, really have always loved it. And I think the very first time I was in the house, that owl just captured me right away. And I, there's so much to like about that house. Many, 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 many people love the drawings that May did right on the wall and May's paintings. So May has quite a presence there because of her art. But the other favorite thing that I personally mm-hmm. love and everyone seems to gravitate to, of course, is the desk that Bronson built for Louisa, and it's where she wrote Little Women. And it's very unassuming. It's a small shelf desk, mm-hmm. a little semicircular desk. And it's, it's just become rather iconic for people. Right. The People are always attracted to the desk. I mean, I think that's what struck me at the Parsonage and at the house museum, like the, the table where the Brontes wrote their books. Yes. And then also, yeah, yeah. The, the tiny little desk at the Jane Austen House Museum. Yes. And <laughs> it was so an little. era when women were not encouraged to write, not seriously. I mean, right. it was fine to write letters, but a lot of women felt they had to hide their writing and it was considered dangerous for their health and it was considered mm-hmm. unladylike not to write for publication. As they say, a letter, right. that's fine. But if you're writing and you're going to sell it 
and be out in the public sphere, which is man's place, not woman's place. Woman mm-hmm. is supposed to be in the home. <laughs> exactly. And, and so many of these women, they're all writing also in the dining room, too, as well. That's so right. where, where is uh, Louisa's desk located? It's in, in her house? bed chamber. See, her parents okay. were very progressive. Her father built her that desk in her bedchamber so she could retire up there and have a place in peace to write. They encouraged and and supported her writing. Uh, And then her mother did as well. Her mother one time gave her a pen and wrote a little verse, May this pen, your muse inspire, when wrapped in pure poetic fire. Very nice. So both parents were very unusual in that regard, Mm -hmm. that that they understood the heart of a writer, they supported her even some men wouldn't have had that kind of support from a family but certainly not a woman in many cases yeah absolutely now i just for the purposes of this podcast i have to ask if you prefer bronte's or jane austen (laughs) well i i think there's more congruence between louisa and the brontes and Mm -hmm. i know she read a biography of the Brontes, and um, I think if you if you look at their lives, the, the Brontes and Louisa's versus Austin and Louisa's, um, there's just a little more similarity. Mm-hmm. So I that's me thinking that she might have resonated more with Bronte. I don't have any definitive proof from her journals or letters that I've ever come across that would necessarily speak to that. Well, I think you're on track there. It's funny because my partner, Hannah, was, you know, who's firmly team Austin, was reading Valette and she was like, you know what this is really reminding me of? I'm just really getting a Louisa May Alcott vibe here. <laughs> and um, <laughs> so that's how we started down the Alcott like path, actually, for this season. Well, there so we are. Think, we're on the same page. <laughs> I think we're on the same page. Yeah. Now, um, do you want to tell our listeners where everyone can find you guys on the internets, on social media, all that good stuff? Yes. Well, I think the place to start is our website, and that's Louisa May Alcott. And of course, they have to know how to spell. <laughs> because yes, some people exactly. don't spell those parts. It's L-O-U-I-S-A. Some people forget that her name is not Louise. <laughs> so it's L-O-U-I-S-A-M-A-Y. A L C O T T dot O R G. And nice. there from there you can connect to our Facebook page and our Twitter and you know, all those things um that people enjoy with with you know, I for me it's almost hard to keep up with all the different platforms, oh, sure. but we have a wonderful staff and we enjoy very much the fact that people will respond and post things on our Facebook page or Twitter or Instagram, mm-hmm. all, that good you know, stuff. all of those things. Perfect. Yeah, that that's perfect. Thank you so much for doing the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's, all, it's an absolute All pleasure. great information. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm delighted that you're going to come and I hope yeah, many absolutely. of your listeners will come and maybe they can talk with me if I'm there or talk with our our whole staff is wonderful because as I say, the people who come to work for us are already passionate in their own lives about Olcott. That's just, it's not hard to find these passionate Olcott people. So we're very fortunate that that's what we can do. And then people who come to get a tour are having 
a very joyful experience just with a like-minded person. All right, it's been sorted. So while you guys were listening to the interview, <laughs> Hannah and I were making evil plans for going to Orchard House. In tentatively. 18 months. <laughs> Yeah, in 18 months. In 18 months' time, because that is our life now. Yeah, exactly. We're getting that all worked out. But um, I think that would be a great time for you to come. 2019 fall, because I know you want to experience the American... Halloween! Halloween and Thanksgiving. I'm so... I mean, if anyone... I'm, you know, thank Friendsgiving, that's the thing, isn't it? And so if anyone mm-hmm. would like to host me for a little pre-Thanksgiving, a little post-Thanksgiving Friendsgiving then sure. I could maybe see some of the states. I just, I want to I wanna see more than Chicago. I need to broaden my horizons. That's true. Well, you've been to Pittsburgh and Ohio, right? I've been to, I've been to a few places. I've been to Chagrin Falls. I've been to Columbus. Yeah. I've been to yeah. Cleveland. I've been to... <laughs> you've really done it up. Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> I drove through Wisconsin. That was nice. Oh, well, I love driving through Wisconsin, actually. I think it's great. I, I bought a pickle and it was just on its own, just in a little bag of pickle juice. I bought that mm-hmm. and a sheriff's badge um, at a drive through in Wisconsin. That was not a drive through like a a petrol station. A, a sure, a gas station. Stop. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and like a, a tiny pizza. And I ate a... I, I bought a lot of food for that coach journey just because it was like... KFC and Pizza Hut, but it was all weird stuff that you don't get the KFC and Pizza Hut in the UK. So I just bought it all yeah. and I got back on this coach for the other four hours of our journey. And my friend Matt was like, everyone hates you. I just want you to know <laughs> everyone hates you. This bus stinks of your feet. <laughs> now this is um, wildly man. off topic, but I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> um. There is actually, so they moved the McDonald's headquarters from like out of like suburban Chicago to downtown Chicago. Yeah. And they've created like an international McDonald's, like the test kitchen downtown. Yeah. And you can go there and have like all the food that you can't get like in the United States. So just like every, yeah. That sounds amazing. Oh, and just like from every other country. So we have to go there. We have to. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm like beyond myself. I know. I was I was just looking at pictures of it yesterday, too, and it's beautiful. And I was like, what is this? So that's one thing that we've got planned for this yeah, trip. Yeah, so that's, but that's what we're going to do. 2019, what are some other things that we can throw in while we're on our way to Orchard House? Well, I think that we can definitely see a little bit of Boston, which is a great American city, a great historic the city. coming. Is that Boston? Exactly. Yeah, four of them, my boy. I know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> we can do a little East Coast like historic tour. Um, one thing I would like to check out and I think would be really fun for the podcast um, might be the Boston Women's Heritage Trail. Oh, yeah. So it's like a series of like walks. And I think actually Orchard House is technically on um, that trail as well, along with um, sort of trails that, you know, talk about Abigail Adams, Amelia Earhart, like Phyllis Wheatley and other other historic figures that we should just maybe like, you know, just have a little brief chat about. I think that sounds incredible. Good. And we can okay, make good. one of these things an event that people can come and walk with us. Exactly. If you guys want to come hang out with us, 2019, maybe we're doing we're it. We're taking you. Boston. That's, that's what you want to watch out for is when we say, like, yeah. come and hang out with us. Maybe there'll be a little Yeah, we're recorder. bringing a recorder too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> FYI. 
Um, so yeah, I think that'd be fun. That'd be a great vacation. Like this is my idea of a vacation versus like a beach somewhere. I just want to like walk around a historic city with a pamphlet, you know? Yeah. That's I mean, uh, a Hawaiian that's shirt, a bum bag or fanny pack for our track music mm. listeners. Um, mm-hmm. And a, like a baseball cap, maybe some big sunglasses, big camera. Oh, good. You do love an American baseball cap. Oh, I love, I do love them. It's, it's I'm a, that disturbing. American Anglophile, aren't I? Like, I'm that. Yeah, yeah, so you're into I it. Can't, I can't say anything about Anglophiles ever again. <laughs> can't say anything about me ever again. Oh, I will. So. I'll find something. <laughs> <laughs> so, now, back to Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> Bringing it back. Bringing it back. Um... We, I, again, I, I will say, I didn't know anything about her. I have checked out so many books. Yeah. I have a stack of them next to my bed. Um, currently, I am reading Louisa May Alcott and Charlotte Bronte Transatlantic Translations, which is by Christine Doyle. I think it's out of print, but I was able to find a used copy pretty easily online. That sounds great. I mean, it says transatlantic in the title, which is your your master's degree. No, transnational. We're almost. There. Oh, we're almost. Okay, almost. All right. Well, I think you'd love it because it directly compares and contrasts Louisa's and Charlotte's work and their life story. And um, I think if anyone's listening to this podcast, it's probably right up their alley. Yeah, it sounds on brand. It's very on brand. In one of our episodes coming up, I will actually just – I'll pull out some things from the book and just – we'll have a discussion about them. Great. Um, the other one that I'm currently listening to on Audible – not a sponsor, but Audible. Sponsor us. <laughs> sponsor us. You're our ideal sponsor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, is Louisa May Alcott, The Woman Behind Little Women by Harriet Raison. Um, so that's – been working out for me pretty well so far. Like it. I highly recommend it. Um, I know Mary Landrum has been recommending Marmee and Louisa on our Facebook group. Mm. And that's by Eve Laplante. And I hear really good things about that one as well. Um, Jan, we actually had a really brief discussion sort of off interview about Eden's Outcast. And that's the story of Louisa May Alcott and her father by John Matson. Eden's Outcast, guys. That's the so one book I'm not reading yeah. right now. And apparently <laughs> it's fantastic. And one a Pulitzer. But you guys can, you know, you guys can go ahead and read them. And you can read Eight Cousins. Eight Cousins. Say it with me. Eight Cousins. Eight Cousins. I was late. <laughs> Never very good at that. Yeah. Um, I just started it last night. Oh, mine is still and in a box because I moved house. It's I know. There. But I'm reading one tomorrow on our new sofa that we built today. Well, by the time this airs, that will be like two or three days ago. So well, you, I will have in. read it. I'll have read one to ten. Again, because I have read this book many times, but I'm so mm-hmm. excited to read it. And also the thing that we always say with these read-alongs is um, getting your guys' perspective on it and like, discussing it and really getting in so deep into the text which is something that yeah. I haven't had with this book before other than discussing it with my mum so mm-hmm. I said that like oh my mum she's great she she can read 
which I guess is a benefit for books. But yeah, it's going to be great. So come on, read the books and then join the Facebook group and come and have a discussion about it. Lauren's on it way more than me. Facebook. You'll, you'll, there'll be more Hannah now that you've moved. Do you think? Thank God, gotten that hurdle. I don't have out. the internet yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully your internet will be set up soon. Please. Please. Um, yeah, I'm very excited because this book too is so personal to a lot of you because we've heard from a lot of people who've been like, oh my God, I read this when I was a kid. I'm obsessed with it. So um, I think it's going to like bring back a lot of memories for people. I'm reading it fresh. I might cry. First time. I'm kind of sad that it's the first time because I wish I like had like 14 year old Lauren's thoughts on this too, you know, to compare and contrast. Yeah. But 14 year old Lauren was like just deep into Christopher Pike and R.L. Stein. She was just like, well, you can hear about 14 year old Hannah and. Yeah. Yeah. Live vicariously through my experience of the book, being a loser and being the only person reading Not Little Women, Louisa May Alcott at school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm jealous. I'm totally jealous. If only we could have I... a podcast then. I know, right? Can I tell you like an embarrassing Louisa May Alcott story from my youth? Yeah. Okay. So um, I was just thinking about this the other day. So I had this one teacher who um, I had her. I think I've brought her up on this podcast before. She like was the one that like helped me just like learn how to read when I was like struggling. Mm -hmm. And I had her um, in like first grade and then she changed um, and moved up a few grades. And I had her again in fifth grade. And in fifth grade, she was just always giving me these books to read. Just like, you know, being being a mentor, (laughs) trying to like get me to, you know, read and write more. And just, you know, she was just wonderful. And she gave me this really lovely little copy of uh, Little Women. And she was like, you need to read this book. And I feel like this was the only woman that like handed me a book that wasn't my mother, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And um, I was going to read it. (laughs) And I just like kept like just not reading it and then was just reading Babysitter's Club books. Have you you read Little White Horse? No. Oh, that's a book that I've got it on my shelf. And I swear to you, my mum gave me that when I was like nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was like, read this. And it's been nearly 20 have you, years. Have you still not I read it? I haven't read it. <laughs> so against that reading was, it now. Because I did that thing, that you know. Like, like definitely. Someone recommends something too many times. So you just yeah. you don't do it. And then it's a thing. So That was kind of what it was getting to be with Little Women. Yeah. I was just like, oh, and... I was going through a real deep Power Rangers phase as well. And I just, I wasn't ready for it. And I just only wanted like scary or like action. Like that's all I wanted. And um, that's not that. Then like, I know it's not that. And then she like wanted to have this discussion. So she had this little discussion group. Like we had like a book club and there were other kids in the club. And she was like, come on, come talk about Little Women with us. And I was just like, Ur. and so I was just like making up stuff, like making up reactions. Oh, my Lauren. Yeah, it was terrible. And I just only remember her being like, so which sister do you identify with the most? And I was like, um, Amy. Definitely Amy. Love Amy. I mean, you say that, but I don't, I don't. Is that not the one? I had no idea. I had no, I was just like, I just remembering a name from the book. And she was like, really? I thought you were very much a Joe girl. No. So I, something, something that I think is worth like 
just because a character likes reading or just because a character is a writer doesn't mean that if you like reading or you are a writer or, you know, this, that and the other, that that's the character that is like the closest to you. Do you know what I mean? True. It's like True. when people are like, I'm a Lizzie because I like to read. And it's like, that's not, that isn't her defining characteristic. And Joe's defining characteristic isn't that she's a writer. It's, there's, there's so much like, but then Amy has all of these amazing qualities and Meg has all of these amazing qualities and Beth has all of these amazing qualities and you can like reading and be a beth and you can like reading and be an amy yeah like it's true like i i like i don't think the amy thing's that far off man <laughs> loves You're europe like, i actually do think guy. you are an amy <laughs> <laughs> loves a pickled lime love it great i i probably i probably was more of an amy to be honest at that time i think I'm a J. <laughs> After that. She's rude. She's rude. <laughs> Full on rude. Cut this out. So I'm really looking forward to our Facebook discussion um, because you guys always really bring it with the comments. And um, lately you've been really bringing it with the reviews. Oh, and Oh, my God. <laughs> I just like blush thinking about them. So um, those are lovely. We did get one. Uh, was this one on iTunes? It was on iTunes. So, um, so we're gonna be reading them. We'll just we'll read a few or one every week, and um, we just want to share yeah. it because like people are taking the time, and it's just nice, and it's good to hear feedback. So don't be afraid to criticize a, a tiny little bit, <laughs> but mostly, <laughs> but mostly nice things. Um, I can't believe she just said that. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, hey, can you give me a blow-by-blow blow critique of the show? You can email <laughs> that to us. No one needs to see it. You cut that bit out, Lauren. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so this review from Heyabe says, and I'm going to sound so... Why do I have to read it? Now I sound like a big head. Okay. Because I can't. Because I will just, I will just Cry. start crying. Yeah. I'm very emotional. Okay. Well, get ready. Get your tissues, Lauren. Mm-hmm. This is genuinely one of the most entertaining literature podcasts I've ever had the pleasure of listening to. I'm adding the two. Mm-hmm. I probably just made a mistake. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Transcription mistake. Oops. Lauren and Hannah provide the perfect mixture of intelligent debate and off-the-cuff humour without going too far in either direction. They've opened my mind to so many possibilities about classic literature, specifically that of Jane Austen and the Brontes, and it's so refreshing to hear them take on these classic stories in such a new and contemporary way. If you're a fan of Austen or the Brontes in any capacity, I would highly recommend this podcast, even if you're just getting into them. Also, a note for the hosts, in case you were wondering, I had Lucky Charms for breakfast this morning. We were wondering. wondering. <laughs> we were. I love hearing about breakfast. But there's a new I one for too. this season. Yeah, I love it. Oh, my God. Guys, thank you so much. We'll read more of them because you all have written such really lovely, lovely things. Um, although there's one that made me laugh. It just says, like, I love the content. And I was like, is this a robot? <laughs> Even the because if it is, I'm so excited that the bots are really up for it. You know? Yeah, bring the bots on. We could interview a bot. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, thank you. I also like this really got me thinking about Lucky Charms as well. I think I've only eaten them once, you know. Oh, do you guys have them? We have them. So for a while they were a thing. They were really expensive because they were exported. Because um, mm. they, they're in films a lot. Okay. And so, yeah, so we, they, were, they were getting exported. And now they're a bit more common, but they're still like on the pricier side of stuff because it's like a novelty item. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't had them for a bit, but I'm kind of craving those weird marshmallows now. I, I could just eat a bowl of just the marshmallows, I think. Yeah? yeah. Oh, gosh. My teeth are hurting. Maybe I'd be sick afterwards. You probably would be really sick afterwards, but um, I really, yeah, let's let's try it. Let's let's do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> so um, big, big thank you to everyone who's reviewed us, but especially uh, Heibu this week. Hey. I probably like pronounced that wrong. I just want to call her Heibu. Just like Heibu. 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 Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> um, also want to give very, very special thanks to... Lady Mary Landrum, who is our our new researcher in residence. That's what I'm going right. to call her. We have a researcher in residence now. That's exciting. Thank you very much. Thank She's you. a librarian. Milady. We always, we always <laughs> trust a librarian around here. And um, we also want to give a very, very special thanks to everyone who ordered a t-shirt from us this week. We have Team Austin uh, t-shirts up. We do. That's what? so cute. They're really cute. Um, Emily Rosen did the design. Uh, if you guys are looking for a letterer or a graphic designer or artist, um, Emily is your gal. She's so pleasant to work with. Yeah. <laughs> All the good things. Takes feedback really well. Yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. Um, Emmy Rose Designs. And I'll just put that all over the internet, guys. Don't worry about it. <laughs> And um, yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, call out everyone who's ordered a t-shirt this week. So here we go. And uh, I'm not doing last names. So if you think it's you, it's probably you. (laughs) (laughs) Kathleen, Helen, Devaney, Kimberly, Rachel, Emily, Elizabeth, Shantae, Callie, Allison, Louise, Anna Marie, Kaylee, Catherine with a C, Miranda, and Miranda. You guys are all awesome. Thank you so much. And um, those t-shirts are available on Bonfire. It's like bonfire.com slash Team Austin t-shirt. I will put that all over the social internets as well. And they're uh, they're affordable. We tried to make them as affordable as possible to account for shipping because we know we have a lot of international listeners. And also so that we can buy multiple ones because mm-hmm. I would like the pink vest and maybe the gray vest and the black like soccer to you is it what is it there's like a sport one (laughs) white piping on it that's the one that I was really stoked for but then I saw the vest and I was like okay I need a vest well I'll do some American translation there so for vest is that that was American tank top tank top I honestly when I said vest I thought I was translating that (laughs) so for the Brits vest is a tank top also I guess yeah Okay. All right. Tank top. It's like a it's a lady's slouchy tank top. 
And then um, it's a football tee, but like an American football tee. Yeah, an American football tee, not a soccer tee, which is weird. So it's not only is it not a football t-shirt, like the UK would have a football t-shirt. I also didn't say football. I said soccer, which isn't British English. (laughs) So this transatlantic stuff is, (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Hannah's lost her mind. So Hannah, tell us if people want to get a shirt and they're looking for the link, where should they go on the internet to find us with all those links pinned? You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at bonnets at dawn. You can find us on the Facebook group, searching bonnets at dawn. Let us know if you're team Austin, team Bronte, team Gaskell, team Alcott, whose team you're on. Maybe you're not on a team. Let us know. You can email us any criticisms, as I said, <laughs> on at gmail.com. And the social media at the moment is got loads going on. We've got the read along on the Facebook group. You can see pictures of the t-shirts. You can come and hang out. It's really cool. Go and see Lauren. I'm not going to be around that much until May because our internet <laughs> does not exist. And I'm recording in other people's bedrooms at the moment. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Now, um, before we leave you guys, I wanted to just drop in this additional piece of audio. Now, um, Jan and I had like this great discussion and then we were just like about to hang up and then she was like, oh, wait, one more thing. And she casually sort of mentioned that she was a consultant on the BBC Little Women. And I was like, oh, wait, you need to tell me more about this experience. So just going to like drop this in at the end as we're closing out. Um, cause I love it. Cause I love that Jan was the person on set that was basically like, that's, that's not historically accurate. Like that's. Yeah. We, and I we mean, need, like, yeah. that's what I do when I, any, any film set in the medieval times and women's hair is out. I'm like, cover that up. Cover right? it up. Also, are you eating breakfast? People didn't eat breakfast. Actually, they didn't eat breakfast. I mean, oh. they did, but it's a whole thing. We don't need to talk about it. We'll just do a whole episode about it. I'm going to say goodbye. Bye. Bye. (laughs) What was that experience like? Like when you were advising, were you advising on the script as well or the look of everything? And and then the actors would ask me questions, knowing that that the book was so autobiographical, that the novel was so autobiographical, they Mm -hmm. had a lot of questions about the real people. So Mm -hmm. I was mostly doing that with actors and then, talking with people who were doing the set design and the um, exterior design, the big, the big projects. They, they built a facade of Orchard House. And so okay. I was providing them with dimensions and photographs. And it was a lot. It was actually a lot of it was just very, very intense and, and challenging work. But mm-hmm. it was also a joy. I mean, it was really fun to meet the actors and talk with them and, you know, just be a part of the behind the scenes and watch how they film things. And there was a lot about it that was just such a different world for me. And it was amazing to be in Ireland all that time. And Oh, sure. Yeah. So I would say that it was just, by and large, it was a joy for me, but it was actually a lot of work too. <laughs> it's very promising that they've been, they were committed to the details too. That's really great that they're doing their homework as well. I always love when that yeah, happens. They really, a... they really cared. And, and there were places where I felt like, oh, darn, I, I can't get them to understand why I feel this way about that thing or something. But by mm-hmm. and large, they, that, I mean, you always have to allow artistic freedom and people are going to think how they think. And, you know, one, one particular person there 
was fond to say, well, we're not making a documentary. We're making fiction. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking, yes, that's true, but... But it, it, by and large, I mean, they were just really, really nice, nice, nice people. And Heidi Thomas, who wrote the script, is one of the most a charming and, and sensitive people. And it was her interpretation of, of the script, because you could never put the whole novel on the right. screen. That never would have happened. But I thought her interpretation was sensitive and made them very real and accessible. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing to be able to do that. Yeah, I don't know if really you've seen is. any of her other work. She's done a lot. She, um, she's probably best known for Call the Midwife. Oh, I was about to say, is it the same person who does Call the Midwife? Yep. It makes me cry every he, time. Yeah, okay. He created that. Okay. Well, that show makes me cry every episode I watch. Well, parts of Little Women will make you cry too. And it's that same sensitivity that um, Heidi brings to probably everything she does. 